0: Welcome to the Unbound Healing Podcast. I'm Anne-Marie Garland, nutritional therapist and health coach at Grassfed Salsa, and with me is my co-host, Michelle Hoover, certified nutritional therapy practitioner and writer of everything you'll find at Unbound Wellness. Here we share everything about overcoming health challenges from autoimmunity to hormone imbalance and more with holistic living, mindset shifts, practical tips, and a real food paleo approach. Remember our disclaimer, the content within this podcast is intended to provide general information and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now let's get on with the show. All right, Michelle. So we have quite a few listener questions to answer today. So why don't we jump right into your updates? What have you been working on?
1: Um, I watched The Room last night.
0: I've heard of The Room. I've never watched it. I've heard it's hilarious and horrible, and oh, I have to watch
1: it. Gosh, we watched it. So, like, my mind is kind of consumed with that junk right now. So they're coming out with a movie um, about the making of the movie. Wait, <laughs> right. Yeah, The Disaster Artist. I'm reading the book right now. But The Room is basically known as the worst movie ever made. And just, it's very... <laughs> You're gonna to want to fast-forward through a lot of it because a lot of it is just like explicit and ridiculous You're gonna do a lot of fast-forwarding But even if you just look up go on YouTube and look at look up like the room top 10 moments or whatever or just clips You'll be like what is this? It's very funny and the reason that I watched it is because and 99% of my life right now is very head down working really hard on a project. That's what I'm actually working on. That's my real update. <laughs> That's my a lighthearted one. And my legitimate one is I'm working really hard on something. For you guys right now, it's got a lot going on. And I've been talking about it a little bit on Instagram. And there's lots of research lots of references lots of recording things lots of photography lots of writing and editing it's just got everything this this whole thing but it's got so much of my heart in it and so many things that you guys have been talking to me about for the past few years is really coming together in this so you just keep your eyes peeled keep praying for me sending good vibes as I power through this because I'm getting close to the date when you're going to figure out what it is. So
0: yeah, Michelle is,
1: I watch the room.
0: Michelle is essentially birthing a baby at around the same time I am.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a different baby. Yours is going to be cuter. Oh (laughs) Um,
0: yeah. I'm sure yours will be a beautiful baby. I can't I can't wait to see it. What are your updates? Um geez, I don't even know. Um at this time, let's see, it's almost Halloween. I don't know. I don't really know what's happening in my life right now. So I was talking about different blogs that would be on my different articles that I would have up on my blog and I have yet to post anything, Uh, just been super busy with everything. So I am not even assuming that I am on track with my editorial calendar at this point. If I was, I would have a bacon chicken ranch casserole up for you, which hopefully will happen. Also would have some mashed cauliflower recipe for you, but we will just see what's actually happening. So no updates, I guess on my end, except for, I'm surviving and uh, and just making life work, I guess. And growing
1: a baby, so that's a lot.
0: It requires so much sleep. Anyone who says that they feel like a rock star in their second trimester, and by that I'm looking at – who am I looking at? Even though I'll be in my third trimester by the time this airs. Um, fed and Fit. She said she feels like a rock star in her second trimester. And I'm like, girl, you are either lying or I am just really unlucky because I. Everybody's
1: different.
0: I do not feel like a rock star. I feel so tired all the time. Anyway, but that's okay. I feel so much better than I did in my first trimester. So, you know, it's just a process. Okay, let's move on to what I'm loving because that could also be an update. What I'm loving is baths. And I know baths are controversial topic when you are pregnant, but my mom just told me that she took baths through all of her pregnancies and she we all turned out fine. So I am just hoping that that's the case with me. Everything's fine right now, but I've been taking baths since the beginning and they are a freaking godsend. So we have a super tiny tub. I live in a house that was built in the seventies. And so the tub is not deep, it's not luxurious, and I still love these. So what i use is a combination of things and it just fluctuates based on either what we have or what i'm feeling at the moment but i'll take a bath we use a water filter on our shower head so i actually fill it up from the shower head and not from the faucet and i add epsom salts magnesium flakes bubble bath essential oils almond oils etc. to the water itself. Um, My favorite right now is bubble bath. I love adding that. I just buy it from Whole Foods. Always add essential oils. I like vanilla and lavender. And then almond oil is like my favorite trick. Um, So I just add like, I don't know, a tablespoon or something to maybe two. I just squirt it in there uh, to the water and it makes your skin feel so silky soft when you get out. And then always I put candles in there and then just unscented candles and then add we added a dimmer switch to our light or if you can't do that if you're like in an apartment or something which a dimmer switch for your light is actually really easy to add most light fixtures can be dimmed so you don't have to do anything to the fixture itself and it's like ten dollars but if you don't want to do that you could just use a salt lamp to just make it even more relaxing. Sometimes I'll see people like post like friends or whatever post their feet in their bathtub that they're filling up and stuff. And I can tell that their overhead light is on. And I'm like, girl, you are doing it all wrong. You have to get that light switch on a dimmer or you have to use the salt lamp Mm. because of the light change. It just makes all the difference. All right, so that's what I'm loving. That was a long talk, long thing about baths. We have a few questions from episode 16 that we we were going to ask Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, but we ended up not having time. And so we thought we would answer those just so that you guys can feel like we aren't ignoring
1: you. So we're going to do these really quick. So this isn't even all of them, but these are some that were on our list that we just didn't get to. So there's even more, but just to... A better way to ensure that your question will get on the podcast. I get a lot of DMs and a lot of the time when I open DM, you know, there will be like 10, 15 a day, whatever. And a lot of people will be asking questions for the podcast. And I'm like, oh, I'll try to get that on our list. And a lot of the, it's so hard to search DMs. So a lot of the time I intend to, and some of them, like I was just looking today and I couldn't find a lot. Mm-hmm. Of the actual, of the full question. So the Instagram DMs are really hard to keep up with. Just the best way to make sure that we get to it in the way that you intended and not just <laughs> my memory of it, um, just shooting us an email, unboundhealing at gmail.com. Best way to go. All right. So here are a few of those questions
0: we didn't get to are some are there some foods that should never be reintroduced or reintroduced in a certain order with certain autoimmune diseases for example with hashimotos we are told not to eat dairy but do you agree with that
1: so this is a good question and it depends it's a big spectrum and everybody has different tolerance levels typically when you go to an endocrinologist and they tell you never eat gluten and dairy they're also not telling you about grains. They're not telling you about nightshades. So they're only giving you a small percentage of the story. So everybody's different. And I don't know if that recommendation alone is the best one that you could be getting any if you're doing something if you feel comfortable with reintroducing dairy and you have hashimoto's i definitely don't think that's a bad thing for everybody i have hashimoto's and i do well with a lot of different forms of dairy everybody's different but if you are reintroducing dairy just follow the general autoimmune protocol reintroduction schedule phoenix helix eileen she has a great book on aip reintroductions and essentially what you're going to be doing is phase one You do ghee then you do butter and then you move into other forms of dairy but you're making sure that it is grass-fed and raw if possible so if you're reintroducing think about quality and doing it in phases so i definitely think that people that have hashimoto's can still eat dairy in a safe way in some cases
0: Yeah, I think it's important with reintroductions that you know how you react to foods. So I talk about this in my online program that if you it's really important that even if you plan on, say, never eating corn because you know that most of corn is genetically modified and you just don't ever intend on like putting that into your body in the future it's still really important to know how you react to that food, whether you choose to continue to eat it in the future or not. The reason why I say this is that you can know if you've accidentally encountered dairy or corn or whatever it is in the future, because you know how you react to it. You also know if it's going to be a non-negotiable for you, or if it could just be like a very sporadic occurrence where if it's your birthday and your best friends forget that you're dairy free and they make you a buttercream frosting on your cake. Well, maybe you can have a few bites of that cake because you know that while dairy isn't promoting, isn't a health promoting food for you, it's not completely going to make you feel terrible throughout the rest of the night by eating a few bites of your cake. Okay. So the next question, last question from episode 16 that we're going to talk about today is someone asked a question about not being able to eat liver because of intolerance of high purines. And Michelle's answer is hilarious here.
1: Um, It's just me. She's not not laughing because it's a funny question. It is a serious question. I just write nonsense in the... (laughs) (laughs) She's laughing at my nonsense shorthand of what I use to communicate to myself. Funny side story. When I used to be a waitress, um, there was a, I used to just draw pictures of people's orders. So that's what I would be doing with these questions if I could in Google (laughs) Docs. But like if somebody ordered a meat lover's pizza, I would just like draw a heart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like the guys, are would be like, your notes are so girly. <laughs> well, I'm a girl. But yeah, I just have ridiculous shorthand. But basically, my answer with this was, if you have any issues with liver, and many people will have issues for a variety of reasons, the easiest way to just get started with other organ meats is get started with organ meats in general, is everybody talks about liver, that this is the super food, liver's great. And it's it's only one organ meat. Liver is great, but if you can't have liver, don't let that hold you back from organ meats in general. Try something different. Um, there's still lots of benefits that you, shou- you could be getting from foods like sardines, foods like bone broth, heart, uh, kidney, there's lots of different options. I definitely let myself get held up on these super foods for so long, just because I knew that, well, if I can't have liver, what do I do? There are other options. So. Yeah.
0: And I think some of those that you, I'm not super familiar with purines, but I think that some of those foods that you mentioned are also high in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my suggestion would also just be the same, like figure out what healing foods you can tolerate and what foods you can include. So Just because you don't liver, you don't eat liver, does not mean you cannot AIP. So you don't have to feel like it's an all-or-nothing thing. Um, Just find something else that you can eat that's also healing. I eat very little liver because the only time I feel like it's palatable is like from a really great restaurant where they make pate, or if it's um, there's a someone from our farmers market that sells pate that's absolutely delicious, and so I can eat that. But other than that, I mean, for the most part, I don't do well with liver. There were also these liver bites from Epic, epic brand um, and a liver Epic bar that was so freaking good, but they were like seasonal or something. They don't have them anymore. Anyway, just find something else that you can eat that kind of has the same benefits.
1: Mm-hmm. Don't let that hold you back.
0: Exactly. Next question comes from Sarah. Hey, I'm a fan of your podcast and I just love the approach you ladies have to life and healing. I remember an episode when you talked about being a former vegetarian. How did you transition back to animal products? I've been getting progressively worse over the last few years and I feel I may need to attempt AIP or GAPS. I'm meeting with a functional doctor soon to get a grip on what's really going on with my health. I've been hearing of people going from vegetarian or vegan back to eating meat and healing their issues. I'm not sure I'm willing to do it, but any tips would be insightful. Keep up the beautiful work.
1: Funny story about this DM before we move into actually answering it. It it was a DM that came in to me through Instagram DMs. And if you're familiar with those, there's a character limit so it'll split it up and it came into my inbox It split it at to where the only preview was get a grip on what's really going on and i was like (laughs) oh my gosh this person's yelling at me and i was afraid to open it because i thought it was going to be get a grip on what's going on like you're crazy what are you talking about and then i get it they're like hey i'm a fan it just split oh my gosh Yeah. I was afraid to open it for a little bit. So I just thought that was funny, (laughs) but it's a great question. Thanks for the love, Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. It is a wonderful question. And I was like, yeah, we totally need to answer that because you and I both, you were a vegetarian and I was very low in animal protein for many years of my life. So the people will be vegetarian for a number of reasons. Um, we don't, we, you didn't talk about exactly why you are, but maybe it's ethical yeah, maybe, reasons. Yeah, let's
0: talk about that real quick and then have you go into suggestions on how to transition back into it. But that's something that I wanted to bring up is to research why... So Sarah, you are either vegetarian or vegan, and I've been there. I was there for moral issues, um also palatability issues, digestive issues, all of the above. And I even like little known fact, I went and interviewed, I stayed in a PETA house, PETA, the organization for over a week interviewing with them to be a campaigner and a researcher for them. So I was heavily pro-vegan. Yes. And this was in grad school. I mean, it really wasn't that long ago. So What I found to be really helpful was researching why you may want to transition back to eating animal protein. So with veganism and vegetarianism, there's a lot of research and a lot of information out there that's claiming all these benefits, environmental, moral, health benefits to eating that way. And so it's very easy to see those and to feel like this is the way that I need to eat if I want to be healthy. So what I would say for you to do is to find articles that support the alternative. So find articles that show you why eating animal protein can be beneficial in those exact same ways, um, environmental benefits, moral benefits, and health benefits. And so... With those, I'm just going to give like, barely touch on these so that we can move on to your actual question. But some of those might be like with environmental issues, one of the, one of the pros to being vegetarian is that the raising of animal protein is, uses a very high amount of water. So a lot of water goes into raising that cow to the point of slaughter. So other environmental issues that might be beneficial to look at in, in terms of eating animal protein. And this is like one of the biggest things for me that just really kind of blew my mind is that without raising animals like cattle. So when a farmer raises cattle, they turn over the top soil and they do this in a variety of different ways, whether it's like through grazing or through just like walking around, but they help, they help give nutrients back to the topsoil, And when you are monoculturing, when you are only raising certain types of produce like corn or soy, and that for years is all that's been raised on that land, it starts to deplete the mineral and the vitamin content of that soil. And so the only way to replenish that is either rotating your crops or by raising animal protein on that soil and that's like one of the really great ways to help it well cattle is not i i'm sorry but like what's the point of raising cattle if you're not slaughtering it and you're not using it for for milk production i mean would people still be incentivized would farmers still be incentivized to raise cattle if they weren't going to be doing those things, would it just be for fun? Would it just be for pets? Like why would they do that? And so having those animals be able to be grass-fed, pasture-raised cattle that is eventually taken to slaughter, that's like a very big incentive for those farmers to be able to raise those cattle to replenish our topsoil, and to make sure that our produce that we're growing is supportive and nutrient-dense. So that's one environmental aspect to look at it also that water aspect is like I've seen a lot of contradictory information on that water aspect when it comes to like the vegan article or the vegetarian article about not eating animal protein because it sucks so much water anyway um, then there's moral and for me I again I, I just kind of touched on this but like I can't imagine that very many farmers if the entire world was vegan and not eating animal like animals like cows and pigs i cannot imagine that farmers would still be raising those cows and pigs and so what would happen to that animal would that species just die off if nobody was eating it because who would raise it what would be the point would it be for for a pet i mean you you have to look at all these different things here like if the whole world were to go vegan how would that affect things Also, I feel like by supporting farmers who I know personally, so I'll buy from them at the farmer's market by supporting them. And I know that they like love their animals. One, for example, uh, one time he was like, oh, I'm not going to be back for the next three weeks. So we're on like a a first name basis with this guy. And he tells us, yeah, I'm not going to be back for three weeks. And so we asked why, and he says, well, I'm just not really ready to, to to uh, send my goats off and my lambs off for, for slaughter. Like he just wasn't ready to let go of them. He was that connected to his animals. And to me, it's like these animals are living a great life. They're being well cared for. They're eating delicious food. They're having healthy lives, healthy, happy lives. And I'm supporting that by purchasing this meat. And to me, that was a good, like that feels good. Same thing with chickens. I know that Chicken slaughter is horrible and factory farming of chickens are terrible. And so that's why I purchased really great, uh, high quality pasture raised chicken and and pasture raised cage free eggs, because I believe in giving those chickens a, a really good life. So that helped me with the moral aspect. There are so many health benefits that I'm not even going to dive into that. But I do recommend that you research that so you can see like, okay, These health benefits might outweigh these health benefits that I hear on the vegan side. Mm -hmm. All right, Michelle,
1: how would you start? I can say for sure that I had never been healthier in my life than when I started eating meat again after avoiding it for so long and just being so afraid of it and not being able to tolerate it so I understand that it's hard to transition away from being vegetarian or vegan or just not eating it and moving into it but here are some things that I suggest and some things that I did when I started actually eating meat regularly and I wasn't full on vegetarian or vegan but I would only eat eggs and chicken on salads every once in a while, a couple times a week. I never ate beef, never ate lamb, very, very rarely ate fish. And I was at a point in my health where I knew that I needed to. I was learning more about the health benefits. And I just knew that I was lacking so many essential vitamins and minerals in my diet from just eating so many carbs I mean I wasn't eating a great diet to begin with but I started adding it in and so what you want to do first and foremost start slowly and with what you intuitively want so you know you want or you're thinking about going on this journey of, and I'm I'll tell you right now if you're going to a functional medicine doctor they may or may not likely tell you to add in some sort of animal protein go with what you want so I Do you want to try beef first? Do you want to try chicken? Do you want to try turkey? Do you want to try, like, what kind do you want? Intuitively, your body will tell you the right time to eat something. If you're not craving beef, if you don't want to start there, don't force yourself to start there. Think about what you really want to start with and start there. I started with chicken and I worked my way up to beef and lamb and bison. And I had a lot of times where I would try to eat beef or lamb for the first time in a while and just try to incorporate it back in. And I would gag when I would eat that food and I wouldn't feel bad about it. I would just stop and say, okay, I guess I'm not eating that right now. So in go with what your body is intuitively telling you to do first and foremost Second, start with foods that are more or less pre-digested. So bone broth is an amazing way to start adding in protein. If you have not been eating protein recently, if you're vegetarian, bone broth is pre-digested essentially, and it is broken down proteins, broken down fats, broken down minerals, It's much easier for you to digest and absorb because if you're going to add in something like protein for the first time after not having it in a while, there could definitely be some repercussions digestively that you're not used to digesting that food. And what that leads me into next is focusing on some sort of hydrochloric acid supplementation. And I think that this is what you had responded to when I was talking about it on Instagram stories. I was talking about hydrochloric acid. So there are a couple of different options with this to make sure that you have adequate stomach acid because you want adequate stomach acid to break down proteins. And if you have been vegetarian or vegan, you stop producing adequate amounts because your body knows, hey, I don't use this. Why am I going to keep producing it, number one? And number two, you need... Vi- the minerals like zinc and all those minerals that you get from meat, you need those minerals to produce stomach acid. So it's just kind of an endless cycle. One way that you can stimulate stomach acid and probably the easiest way, diluted apple cider vinegar and water. We have talked about that before. Another way is digestive bitters. This is something that's really easily accessible. And I've seen a lot of people have good results with, you can buy this in sprouts, whole foods, whatever, it'll be a liquid and you just kind of take as directed, but that helps stimulate stomach acid. And then hydrochloric acid pills, like HCL with pepsin is another great option. And for me, that's what works the best. And that's what actually got me to where I could eat meat again is where I was taking, you know, one or two before meals. Adjusting it as I saw fit. Again, if you're going to be working with a doctor, they're going to be able to help you with this. This is something that you can bring up if they haven't talked about it yet. That's a good thing to talk about. And then finally, focusing on quality. There was no time in my life before I was in my 20s when I was ever eating grass fed or pasture raised anything. I was just eating the worst form of it. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I didn't want to eat meat, but that was probably one of them. And I was just eating like the Benny Hanna version of it and the McDonald's and Wendy's version, not good quality. So if you're going to be embarking on this journey, if you want all of the health benefits, if you're going to be doing this as a way to help improve your health, making sure that you're getting that high quality is again, a good way to make sure that you are staying ethical and make sure that you are even getting the benefits that you want. I
0: love that you just talked about Benihana because (laughs) it reminded me of the Benihana Christmas of the office episode.
1: (laughs) I love Benihana.
0: You said lots of things that I was going to say. So I think that's great. One thing that I did personally that made my transition easier was I went from being vegan back to vegetarian. So I just like took a very slow transition and then from vegetarian to pescatarian and um then started eating animal proteins from there, focusing on very high quality. Anyway, so starting slow and just like Michelle said, those pre-digested proteins is also going to be really helpful in making sure that you are digesting them well. Yeah. Let's talk about the next question. So Jordan asks... In one of your podcasts, you briefly mentioned birth control and how bad it is for you. I would really be interested in hearing you guys talk more about that. I went on the pill at 16 to regulate my periods lesson cramping and have been on it for nearly 12 years and never had any idea until recently that is probably not the best for me. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and hypothyroidism about five years ago, and have been researching AIP to see if it could help me potentially get off some of my meds. And I'm wondering if taking the pill for so long could have had any impact on my diagnosis.
1: First, we cannot legally tell anyone to get off any medication. So in having this conversation, I don't want this to be misconstrued as us telling everyone who's on birth control to get off of it. We're not saying that you have to talk to your doctor about something like that and not just go off of any medication. Very dangerous. That's not what we're talking about. But what we can do is give you general information and tell you our stories. So the birth control pill, and you've described kind of your usage of it, and the birth control pill synthetically messes up your hormone balance in layman's terms, which is huge. It will synthetically go in there and balance things out in a way that is not natural at all. And that is one reason why it is so bad. Another one is it's heavily correlated with candida and a lot of gut issues. So taking anything like NSAIDs, like birth control for a really long time, is a surefire way to put yourself at some good amount of risk for gut issues. Now, I don't want you to get to where you're saying, okay, I took the pill, I wonder if this is my problem problem it's my fault i don't want you to feel like it's your fault if even if this did have any and whether or not it did have any impact it's still not your fault you had no you know conception of it and there's a lot of different information out there. So I would not take on that guilt in saying that this is something you did for yourself at all. But what I will say is that it synthetically messes with your hormones in a way that's not natural at all. Um, And it is heavily correlated with gut issues. And the issue with the pill is with, with the issue with going on the pill in situations like this where it's i have acne and i have bad periods uh, i go to the doctor and they tell me you know get on the pill that will stop it all it's doing is masking the issue of what is actually going on it's not fixing anything so i had this exact th- same thing as you jordan i went on birth control at 18 because I was having terrible cramps, terrible acne, all sorts of hormone imbalance. And I went to the doctor and they said, oh, well, just go on the pill. That's what you should do. You have all these issues, go on the pill. And it is just the classic allopathic medicine thing of just masking symptoms rather than addressing the problem. So I was on the pill for however many years until I got married. And I told my husband that I was this was before we got married. I told him that you know I was taking this thing. He saw me going to the uh, pharmacist to get it all the time, and always annoyed about how much it costs. And he was like, you know, why are you taking that? Like, just don't even bother. Like, talk to your doctor about getting off of it. And he's like, he said the same thing that it's just masking an issue if that's why you're taking it. Talk to your doctor about getting off. So I did, and. Once I came off of it, all of those problems that I had when I was 18, they were still there. All of the irregular periods, the acne, essentially I was having low progesterone, I was having ovarian cysts. All it did was put, it just kind of brush those problems under the rug for four or five years or however long I was on it. It didn't address it at all. And once I pulled that rug up, they were still there. I was just covering it up all this time. And I still had to address those issues when I came off of it. It didn't stop it. And essentially I just wasted my time. With all those years that I was on the pill and was just trying to make my skin clearer and stop my heavy cramps and stuff like that. I was just wasting time that I'm still trying to, you know, face right now. I'm still going through a lot of these issues and Honestly, being able to figure out taking, um, you know, hormonal imbalance to my doctor was what was able to uncover so many big issues like my mercury toxicity and other gut dysbiosis that was laying dormant, like I said, for years. And so many of these things, if they, for me, if they kept going on, like that mercury toxicity, it's not doing me any favors. So, the most important thing with birth control and you can take this to your doctor and tell them that this is not this is not a bad thing to say say hey i'm taking this but what is it solving you know if i come off of it am i still going to have these issues afterwards that's what you really need to be thinking about and like i said don't get off the pill yourself talk to a doctor about it but Think about going to a functional medicine doctor and asking, why am I having these issues rather than just continuing to take the pill? Because I, I mean, I hope it doesn't happen for you, Jordan. I hope that you're one of those people that maybe, you know, you were just 16 and you had some hormonal things that were still coming into balance. Maybe you could get off of it now and you know have less issues. But in my experience, a lot of those problems are still there and- So, yeah, that's what I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, I was in a very similar position where I started taking the pill, not because I, not for its actual reasons, but because I had endometriosis. And this was another thing that was never clinically diagnosed. They never did a scope to see. They did an internal sonogram and thought they saw it, but they couldn't tell. And You can't diagnose endometriosis from an internal sonogram, which I now know, but I was on so many different types of birth control and even was on the Depo-Lupron shot, which puts you into a menopausal state for like eight months to try to help with um, all of this. So I can only imagine what that actually did to my hormones, but by the time I got off of them, my hormones were a mess and I was diagnosed with PCOS and all of that. So yes, I agree with you. One episode that I would recommend you listen to Jordan would be the Balance bites podcast episode 299, And that episode in her show notes, they don't specifically say that she talked at all about, about the pill. So I can't tell you the exact time point where she talked about, it, but I know this uh, guest talked about it and it was, it was a doctor. And it was very, very compelling about just talking about reasons why she doesn't recommend it to clients so or recommends her clients get off of it. So I do think that that's an interesting podcast for you to listen to. It's all about female hormones. And yeah good luck making that decision for yourself and the process of getting off of it. If you choose to get off of it, I agree with Michelle. This isn't anything that you could have done or that we can pinpoint back to the pill directly, but it is worth your time and educating yourself on reasons why to go off the pill, how to do that safely without worrying about conception. If that is the reason that you're on the pill in the beginning um, and just kind of making an educated decision there. All right. I think we have time for one more question and it kind of goes into that. So
1: serve on the same realm. So this question is, this is from Anne. This was another Instagram DM and I actually got two of these questions back to back. So this is the one that I could find.
0: (laughs) Cool. Okay. So could you address how to get your period back after losing it while healing from mercury toxicity, SIBO and candida? I've been using synthetic progesterone and estrogen and have tried multiple supplements such as rhodiola, maca, HPA, access support, et cetera. However, eating a very low carb diet to SIBO is getting in the way. Do you want to start or do you want me to start?
1: Um, I can start. If that's Go ahead. I so I think that we really need to get somebody on here to do just a, some a hormones expert to do just a whole podcast about all this because I think it's really interesting and I'd love to talk about it more. So with losing your period, very similar to what we just talked about with birth control, asking yourself why you lost it. And I think you know that. So generally if other people are listening saying, hey, I've also lost my period, think about why you lost it. And I believe that's who this was, you you know that that you're being very low-carb right now, got mercury toxicity, SIBO, candied, a lot of stuff going on. So you know why it happened. And everybody knows this, that you need to be... The purpose of having a menstrual cycle and having all this stuff going on, what that is correlated with is being healthy enough to bear children. So your body needs to be healthy enough to bear children, to be getting a normal menstrual cycle. And basically, so you need to be healing the root cause of your health issue as your first priority. That to gain your period back, you need to be healthy enough to bear children. And if you are going through all this stress of your body, SIBO, candida, mercury toxicity, a really low carb diet, a diet that's not as nourishing as it could be because you're trying to heal from all these different things, your body is not prioritizing pregnancy. It's prioritizing okay, I need to get healthy. I need to get rid of all of these things. So your first priority right now, if you still have, you're saying that you're eating a very low carb diet because of SIBO and that's getting in the way, it's, not the low carb diet is not the thing that's getting in the way of you getting your period back. It's the SIBO that's getting in the way of you getting your period back. And that needs to be your first priority before balancing, okay, I have amenorrhea, mercury toxicity, SIBO, and Candida. How do I how do I prioritize the amenorrhea first? That should not be the first thing to be prioritized. Everything else of healing your body needs to be prioritized first. So I don't talk a ton about personal hormone stuff. But I have gone through this a series of times with Hashimoto's that that's definitely one of the things when I get really extreme swings in Hashimoto's that I will lose my cycle. And it's happened at least two to three times where it's happened for several months, four to six months, sometimes even longer than that. And my focus in that had to be focusing on what is causing this autoimmune flare? What do I need to do to stop this from happening? And that's all I would focus on. I would only focus on getting my Hashimoto's back in check. And we've talked about that in previous episodes, making sure that my diet was right, making sure that it wasn't full of inflammatory foods, making sure that my stress was down, all of that And that was able to bring my body back into balance. It wasn't doing any little tips and tricks on, you know, there's lots of books and blog posts out there of how to get your period back. But if you are dealing with some sort of stressor like this, the thing that you need to be doing is getting rid of that stressor. So I'm sorry that you're going through this. I know how crappy it is. We do you know, before anybody, we know that this stuff is not fun. And you're looking at it right now saying, if now there's one more thing, I have mercury and SIBO and candida, and now I'm not cycling. Like, how do I get that back? That's just not, you know, where the focus needs to be at this point. The focus needs to be on just getting rid of everything else. And I know how hard that is, but that's my best advice, making sure that you're getting those things balanced out. And then if you are still at the point where, okay, I'm free of candida, I'm free of SIBO, I'm free of mercury, and I'm still not cycling, then there's a lot more to look into. And what I would say about the synthetic hormones, and when you're getting to that point of everything else is healed, but I'm still not cycling, making sure that you're actually testing where your hormones are at. So rather than just, there's lots of ways that you can just go online and not necessarily saying you're doing this, but I've wanted to do it before. Of I remember I would just go online and see, okay, all these things are going on with my hormones. I need testosterone. And I remember I went to a doctor one time convincing this doctor that I needed testosterone cream and he gave it to me. <laughs> yeah. And I never had any issues with testosterone. Like I, uh, I when I actually got my hormones tested, it was very clear what was going on, but nobody was testing my hormones. I was just saying all of these things and researching them and assuming that that's what I needed. So taking the synthetic progesterone and estrogen may not be what you need right now. It could be something totally different. So getting your hormones tested, seeing what's actually happening is huge. And then just general tidbits. So for somebody else who asked, she just asked basically, hey, how do you get your period back? I would go back to the same thing, ask why. But general things, stress is huge, huge, huge. If you don't have one of these issues like Hashimoto's or Candida or one of these very present obvious issues, think about the stress in your life. That if you are stressed out, that's a surefire way for your body to say, hey, I'm not healthy enough to have a baby. Um, stress is huge, not eating that. It comes in exercise, emotional, mental, emotional stress, and then stress from diet. So do you have anything else to add?
0: Yes. So with, uh, testing, I definitely agree with that. I was just talking to a friend about this as well. Um, I recommend the Dutch hormone panel for hormone testing, and it's kind of the, the king of all of it. It is expensive, but if you read like any reviews about it, everybody says it is well, well, well worth the money. So it's actually, it's kind of funny. James actually got me the Dutch panel for our, my anniversary gift. Um, so I had a miscarriage in January and then our anniversary was in April and he got it for me because he, he said, well, this will help us know, like what your hormones are doing throughout the month. And we can know if we need to supplement with progesterone and this will help us have a kid. So it was kind of a, a funny thing where I'm like, Oh, I got a, I got a lab test for my anniversary <laughs> gift. Um, but I actually didn't end up doing it because we conceived that same right, right away. But, um, it
1: to me, I'll take it.
0: Yeah, we returned it. Actually, we were able to return it. I know. We were lucky. Anyway, so um, I recommend the horm- the Dutch Hormone Panel for testing. So you can actually find out, like, are you estrogen-dominant? Are you – is your progesterone low? I think you said you are taking progesterone. So I'm guessing your progesterone is estrogen. low. Yes. And also synthetic progesterone. So I would question – a lot of doctors are now sp- – sp- you know, speaking out, like, why are people still using synthetic hormones for female hormones? Because there are bioidentical hormones. It might be something worth asking your doctor, like, hey, is there a a bioidentical option for me? What's the differences between synthetic bioidenticals? What would be the best option? Okay, so that I would suggest looking into that. And then you also talked about SIBO and Candida. Now SIBO, I'm not a, a huge fan of a traditional low FODMAP diet for SIBO just based on the research that I personally have done that doesn't mean that they aren't effective but I know a lot of the practitioners that I follow do not recommend a standard low FODMAP diet for SIBO protocols and so make sure that you are working with a doctor that you were diagnosed with SIBO without just you know putting yourself on the protocol arbitrarily and that you really trust your doctor and the research that they've done and that this is the best option for you. Maybe research through Chris Cresser. I know his Institute does not, his functional medicine uh, practice does not recommend a low FODMAP diet for SIBO anymore. They do a very specific supplement protocol. And I know not everybody will be able to afford working with a functional medicine practitioner that can help them through that protocol. And so maybe low FODMAP is the best option for you, but it's just something to look at. The other thing I wanted to touch on here was Candida. So Candida can often, in my opinion, and I am very, very passionate about Candida protocols. Uh, I've talked about this before. My opinion is that most are too restrictive and not restrictive enough in the same In the same vein. So they will say that you cannot have any sugar. The only apple you can have is a green apple, and you can only have half of one a day, but at the same time, you can have a cup of white rice. To me, that makes absolutely a lot of them
1: are all over the place like that. Totally.
0: Absolutely no sense. When I had the most success on my candida diet, I was taking a very specific course of supplementation. I did a lot of research to figure out what supplements I wanted to do. And with it, I rotated those supplements. So I did not take four supplements every single day. I did one supplement for a certain number of days, rotated to the next supplement for a certain number of days, and then the next, and then I started the whole process over again. So I wasn't taking a ton of supplements every single day and bombarding my body with all these different things. And then with Candida, One thing that's been shown to really help so that somebody can include more carbs in their diet while not feeding the candida is that when the person eats carbohydrates, they eat it with MCT oil. And MCT oil, I can't remember the the specifics of what it is with MCTs, the medium chain triglycerides, but somehow they help negate that. So I think they make it to where like candida cannot thrive. So the candida cannot feed on the carbohydrates that you are eating if you are eating those at the exact same time. So that's a way that I was able to personally include more carbohydrates in my diet, even more sugars in my diet while I was following a candida protocol. And I eradicated my candida so, so quickly. I mean, very, very quickly compared to previous candida diets where I had terrible die off symptoms. I had, it would just lingered for the longest time. So I would look into alternative ways, kind of researching all of that so that you can include more carbohydrates. So you're not like sacrificing one health issue uh, to fix another. Another option with Candida specifically is that you can take Diflucan. Now, Diflucan is something you have to get from your doctor. So you would have to take a stool test to make sure that you have Candida and talk to your doctor about whether or not you choose to take Diflucan. But that's another way to get rid of Candida without going through like an entire dietary protocol. I personally have never done, taken Diflucan, so I don't know how well it works, but it is an option. All right. That's it for our questions for this week. We had another one we didn't get to, so we will put it on the docket for our next listener question, Q&A. Also, again, I sent out a call for questions in the last episode, but if you guys have any questions for us, go ahead and email those to unboundhealing at gmail.com.
1: Not saying that you won't get answered if you send it to my Instagram DMs, but I'm going to be a sloppy mess when I am trying to find them and writing them back into our spreadsheet. So yeah,
0: I, and that's kind of, that's how I am too. I was trying to find some and honestly, sometimes I'll, well, most of the time I'll answer them too. And then I feel like, well, I already answered this. So should I put it on the podcast? Well, it helps if you More feel comfortable people- sharing what you're struggling with. um, You can do it anonymously. We won't include your name if that's what you prefer. But if you feel comfortable sharing, yes, it helps a much wider range of people. And then you get both um, of our insights. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay, So
1: what's your meal of the week, Michelle? I talked about this a little bit last week, but I've been really into squashes with some sort of sauce. So I've been eating a lot of a butternut squash with that Casey Naturals ketchup. And I have a recipe on the blog for that, that I can post for butternut squash fries. And I will have up by this point, I did a roasted delicata squash with a garlic cream sauce. I am obsessed with that right now. So Ah. that's what I'm really eating a lot of. It's not a meal, but it's part of all of my meals right now.
0: Yes, all of the sauces make all of the veggies and everything so much better. Heck yeah. Plethora of sauces. It's going to be our new podcast. Plethora of sauces. Let's make an ebook. That's called Plethora, Plethora of, sauces. of sauces. I don't hate it. Brilliant. Just, <laughs> just, no.
1: Okay. One time, one time I was wearing a, like a really dark lipstick and I went to Daniel. I was like, you like this lipstick? He's like, yeah, yeah. I like it. It's just like a touch of goth. That's what you're, if you have a fashion blog, that's what it should be called, a touch of goth. So Perfect. It's Cute. So that'll be in the new one, plethora of sauces. Well that's it from us on that very intelligent tangent. Have a great week you guys.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Unbound Healing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe in iTunes and leave us a review. Until next time, you can find more from me, and at grassfedsalsa.com, and more from Michelle at unboundwellness.com. We'll see you next week. Bye.